Hello, my name is Charles Kojo Van Dyke. I am the host of Alternative Convos. Alternative Convos is a discussion show at the intersection between social cohesion and social change in Africa. It is an alternative platform, a safe space for alternative views. Today's guest is Dio Ocheng. Uh, Dio is a monitoring, evaluation, and learning expert. He has expertise also in program planning, in M designing m and &E systems, and in data quality management. He's worked for renowned uh, Kenyan organizations like the Kenya Red Cross, the Aga Khan Foundation, and the Kenyan Community Development uh, Foundation. So today's point of discussion or discussion point is the power of the narrative. Is storytelling the missing ingredient in impact measurement in Africa? Welcome, Dio. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. Thank you. Thank you so much for making time and accepting this invitation. So I just want us to get straight to this, into this conversation. So... I would love from your experience, from this rich background that you have, just to paint a picture of how impact measurement is evolving in Africa. Okay, thank you very much. And I would like to say that uh, the topic that you brought on board is one of the evolving topics as well, because everywhere you hear people talking about storytelling, I know uh, the media have got their aspect of how they do their storytelling. I know that when people do proposals and are pitching for support, there's a way in which they put their storytelling. But now, does it end at that point? No. I think um, for, 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 for clarity on communicating, storytelling always goes beyond just reporting, but also goes mm -hmm. to how do you build your evidence. Mm -hmm. So previously, evidence has been built by just having data. Yeah. Now, evidence has been built by having empathetic or sympathetic stories about what's going wrong. Mm. But storytelling is more of both negative and positives. Because mm. at times we either focus on just the positive. The positive stories, yes. And we forget about the negative. Because we always say success stories. Success stories. But what about failure story? Nobody reports about failure stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even in failure, yeah. there's evidence that you need to build that mm. fears particular uh, intervention failed because of this. And this is the evidence that I'm putting close to you. Yeah. So I, I want to distinctively uh, draw a line that yeah. what the media would report is different. That is their profession. Yeah. What a program manager would document in the proposal to convince maybe a supporter to come on. But that is a different story. Yeah. Because they're trying to justify why they need the funds. But from an uh, M&D uh, perspective, how do you document the story? Because that is the missing link in uh, as an ingredient for impact measurement. Mm. And that's why I'm very happy that you brought this uh, for discussion so that people know that even in impact measurement, stories are actually the missing ingredient. Because mm. the, the, the uh, people who focus on the numbers, yeah. Right? Yeah. numbers is a great ingredient. Yeah. Uh, evidence is a great ingredient. Yes. Because you have to document the evidence. And the evidence, like I said, is both negative and positive. You have to produce it. 
But now the bit that is always missing and people focus on it uh, and separate is the narrative. And the narrative could be personal. The narrative could be about the community. The narrative could be about a change. You cannot separate these things. These things have to work together. When you provide data, provide the evidence and give a story and a narrative that is personal or about community. Mm. Once you can triangulate all these three aspects, yeah. then you have a complete impact story. Fantastic. You know, people always talk about there's power in stories. They, they talk about the, the imagery. They talk about the authenticity of a story. And so for you, as a person who does a lot of impact measurement, um, how do you capture the authenticity of a story? Um, how do you capture it with all the emotions behind it? Thank you very much. That's a very good question. And um, like I said, when you triangulate all these sources of how you are documenting your story, yeah, then you're really getting to a level of authenticity. Because mm. if you give me an empathetic story and a picture of, let's say, uh, the, the, the commonly uh, shown picture of uh, a child dying of uh, anger yeah. in some desert. Or the fly of the child. Exactly. Yeah. I will see that story, yeah. but then I would ask you, where is this? How many people are affected? Is this a real person behind the story? Mm. And where is the evidence? Because if I can't find the evidence anywhere, if I can't get data anywhere to support it, yeah then I can't rely on just the picture and the narrative. Mm. You have to look for these other two that then triangulate mm. and makes that story more credible. Mm. So how do we enhance credibility of the story? Of the story. Hell, mm. By providing the data and more evidence. Mm. So for you, it's, so the data and, and actually the evidence act as a check to, to the authenticity exactly. of, of, of a particular story. Exactly. Well, well, these days, there's been a lot of talk about um, for us to capture stories that are more, should I say, empowering or more dignified. Oh. Uh, you, you know the issues about uh, uh, poverty, porn, about storytelling from the perspective of, of fundraisers because the accusation is that they, they want to create a certain perception in people's minds so that they can actually mobilize the funding uh, from, from a very pitiful kind of perspective to show that, you know, there's so much poverty in, in specific areas of the world. So what's your take on, on all of that? How is that affecting you as, as, as when you're doing your impact work? I agree with you. It's quite sad that we have tried to really support uh, from people by focusing on the negative. However, what we don't communicate is what the little positive change that has taken place. Yep. Because that is where you start from. Mm. We are not going back to uh, Genesis and recreating the world. Mm. No. Mm. There's advancement that has taken place. Even in that remote village where we see it's poverty stricken, mm. are we able to document the positive things that they have done? Are we able to appreciate the little that they have done to be able to s survive? Because when we start from that point, then we appreciate what is already happening. And that's the evidence that you're gathering as a baseline. Yeah. So most uh, often we don't look at the baseline on the positive. We look at the baseline on the negative. For instance, we'll say poverty levels below the poverty line and yeah. living below a dollar. 
Yes. But then we don't appreciate before they got to the below a uh, dollar, where were they? What things have they done to be able to do that? Mm. Once we appreciate that and document, then we'll be able to convince uh, whoever is the recipient of the story that there's actually some work that has taken place. So you're not starting from zero. Mm. I refuse to say that most baseline start from zero. <laughs> yes. It's only that we don't look keenly. So, so where do they start from? <laughs> <laughs> but it has to start from somewhere. It has to score from somewhere. Mm. So if in village X, it starts from uh, negative zero, <laughs> even negative one is still accounted for. Yeah. So why don't you go back and find out before, and let me use an example. Great, uh, that would be excellent. Uh, a community that uh, are f suffering from getting access to water. Yeah. If these people 50 years down the line could not access water, I would imagine by now they'll be dead. So why don't you first appreciate that these people are actually getting water, but they have challenges. So it's not like these people do not get water at all. So it may not be portable water. Yes. But they do get some, some water. They get some water. So let's yes. start from there. Okay. And then let's not plant uh, uh, interventions onto communities. I think this is something that has been debated uh, across developmental partners. Yeah. You cannot impose interventions to communities. Hmm. And the example of water has been used several. Hmm. When I think if I, if I do a well for the community to serve them, they may not need the well. Because there are other social factors that actually make them to go to the river to draw the water in the evening. Hmm. That is where they meet and that's where they have conversation. They, they gossip. <laughs> yeah. So there is something that is really happening. So are we able to document the positive things that are happening before we imagine that all communities have to be on the same level? Excellent. Excellent. Well, I mean, I think you raised a, a, a huge point about documenting. But from your experience, how, how have you been able to really, uh, if you know, work with communities in, in determining to a large extent when you are working on this project, what success looks like? Because there's a certain perception that usually success is seen in the eye of the implementer, but not necessarily in the eye of the community. The implementer claims they are representing. So how do you do that? How, how have you been able to navigate that? So this is where now you get me between a hard rock and a hard surface. <laughs> <laughs> both, services, both services seem to be very hard. Because <laughs> the, the, the ethical side of it yes. is that we have to achieve the objectives of the community yes. and serve their needs. But also there's the other side. We have to achieve the objectives of the program or the organization. Yeah. So the organization could uh, have in place a very elaborate theory of change. They usually do. To make it even sophisticated, they yeah. a linear way of looking at how success needs to be seen. Yeah. But they forget the important person in the whole of this equation change yeah uh quite often you will never see community members embedded in the community in the uh, theory of change with uh, some people call it uh, uh i just forgot the name but it keeps on evolving so now well i'm drafting a proposal and i have this a big idea mm. that is borrowed either from theory from books or other communities but I'm going to impose it to a community that does not really 
interpret it the same way we interpret it. So at times it becomes very difficult uh, as an MND practitioner. You want to achieve the objectives of the theory of change yes. and see success as it is documented. Yes. But on the other hand, you also have to balance the needs of the community. So right now, I'm happy that things have evolved to an extent that MND as a practice is now looking at participatory monitoring and evaluation. Mm -hmm. So how do you bring the community on board and now use approaches that are actually friendlier to them so that you, they can actually understand that even in their simplest way of life, they can monitor success. So uh, approaches like outcome harvesting or outcome mapping, mm -hmm. they bring in the participation of the community mm -hmm. so that the community actually tells you that this is what we see as change and this is what we appreciate as success. When we start from there and more of these approaches needs to come on board so that we don't do the traditional way of looking at success by looking at numbers achieved <laughs> <laughs> and it ends there. Yeah. We don't just look at the evidences built, but we further look at what is the narrative of the individuals who actually can attribute change and peg it to an intervention. Intervention also do not... So that makes stories important. They make stories important. But the question is whose story? It should be the community story, not the organization story, not... Uh, the, the the theory of change story, like this is what we've been able to achieve yeah. against the theory of change or the objectives that were set for the program or for the intervention. Mm -hmm. But how do you also stop and uh, make interventions become flexible while you implement them? I know previously we've had programs that were running for 10 years. Then after 10 years, that's when uh, they come back and now realize there's something that was not working in year one. And in year one, the mistake that we did was not to involve the community in making the design of the program. Why don't you start designing the program and involving the community on the onset? By the time you build a program and you start realizing success and documenting, the community will own the success. Mm -hmm. So let's not leave uh, ownership of success stories to the organizations. Let's leave it to the community. Fantastic, fantastic. I love the way you ended there. Ownership of success stories. I mean, there's a lot of talk about ownership, right? Uh, and for you, as a person who's working on impact measurement now, when you look at how things are evolving, right? When you look into a crystal ball, right? To what extent do you think this whole idea of capturing stories will start to shift the mindsets of our people and also our partners from the other side of the world? Uh, thanks, thanks, thanks very much, uh, Charles, for this question. And uh, I, I want to retrogress a little bit. Yeah, I know we are doing this podcast in English. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> How, in English. Yes, <laughs> I feel I feel very bad. Yeah, when there is a story that is so powerful out there. Yeah, that is spoken in Africana in South Africa. Yeah, is spoken in Hausa in Nigeria. Yeah, is spoken in Kiswahili in East Africa. Yeah, uh, in Ethiopia it's Amharic, but we don't get to hear it because the person cannot express themselves in English. Yet it's a rich success story hmm. from the community. Yes. So how sad is it that yes I interpret and misinterpret. A very good story in the English, and I want this to be communicated. 
So can we take back off to the people? So this is part of the whole decolonizing MNE. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, and it would be great to hear your perspectives on that because, you know, the whole conversation of decolonization is something that is gaining a lot of headway. So uh, it's, people have been talking about the language. You mentioned this and the lexicon. Yeah, but practically, I mean, are you seeing steps that are being taken, even in Africa, to say that we have an African-based MNE where we've decolonized? Is this something that you are seeing with the work that you're doing? So I would, I would uh, put it this way. Yeah. MND is still a very young profession, mm. less than, uh, say, 30 years, if we can go back to the history of uh, yeah. the profession. Yeah. However, that is in books mm. as a profession. As, as documented. Yes, yeah. as documented. Mm. However, we have to appreciate that as old as human life, MND existed. And people used to know what success looks like. Talk, for example, in your uh, African community, if you are coming from a agrarian uh, community, they knew when a, a good harvest was a good harvest. That was MND. Because they knew if I get 10 bags out of this acreage of land, that is success. And next time they will document and see how best can we improve the yield. They did that. So what's different? With what you're doing currently, we have just made it. It's a quick, great question. <laughs> <laughs> We've kind of like formalized it. It's formalized. It. Yeah. So I, I tell people by the time they realize that MND is in everyone's uh, life, every day's life. Uh, some of us will lose our jobs because they <laughs> never. <laughs> we never call ourselves an expert anymore. Because <laughs> yeah. this is something that is embedded in our daily practice. Yes. And so back, back to back to a community setup where we have an intervention. Communities used to organize themselves and respond to issues, challenges that affected them. Yeah. And they knew what they wanted to achieve by the end of the day. It could be, it was a challenge for them to document and say, last year we did this. But the memory was very sharp. Sharper than our institutional memories today. <laughs> so yeah. you find they would know that last year, then is what we achieved. And so we need to achieve this by next year. Yes. They did that. Yeah. And they knew that. Yes. So it's just taking back that power to them and let them run as they were running in the communities, including doing the MD mm -hmm. of the interventions. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I love that. So it's it's a tricky question. Like I say, I don't want to lose my job in title. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a matter of self preservation, ultimately. <laughs> so I understand. Yeah, so, you know, I, I usually love to end my podcast with, you know, what I call a call to action. So as somebody who has been in this space, who who is seeing the space evolve, the impact measurement, you're seeing the power of storytelling. Uh, what, what, would, what would be your parting words for, for people who are, you know, helping organizations to measure their impact? Well, how should they be doing their work? I appreciate technology and I appreciate that the world has become a global village so we cannot as well uh, retrieve into our own cocoons and work in those silos but how can we then take advantage of technology to ensure that communication is not broken communication is not misinterpreted what is evidence and what is a good narrative for a good story to be told 
is communicated widely. That is the only gap that I would say missed. But can we now take advantage of technology and see how best it can help us leverage in telling stories? Fantastic. Thank you for that. Let's take advantage of technology in telling our stories. That's that's wonderful. Thank you for so so much, the, the deal for, for talking to me. I really enjoyed this conversation. And all the best with your work. Thank you so much. Thank you.